is Charity Prado and Allison Kalau, and we are She Catalyst, empowering you to create more social impact in your business and life. Stay tuned as we interview powerful women leaders who are changing the world and share inspiring wisdom and advice for other women just like you. So let's get started. Hi guys, happy 2019. I'm really excited because today is our very first episode. That's right. So we have a special interview today with Soraya Faladi, who is the CEO and founder of JARA, which is a social enterprise that helps children receive quality education in refugee camps through technology. And um, if you don't know what social enterprise is, that's something we're going to delve deeper into in another episode and kind of go into what is social entrepreneurship and why is it so important right now. But for now, I'm just going to give a high-level overview, and that is social enterprise is essentially using business as a tool for creating change. So a lot of times people think of business as this evil empire, you know, out to destroy people, their lives, just taking advantage of people and different resources. But what if that could be changed? What if we could use business and actually create a positive impact on the world where that is actually the mission of the organization and it is sustainable as a business um, where they're not worried about paying the bills so that they can create that impact that they want. So, you know, we'll talk more about that later, but I just wanted to again highlight Soraya. She has been blowing up. Her business is just something that has been, she's been interviewed in different regions all over the place about. She's traveled the world. Her her project is in so many countries right now. It's kind of incredible and I was lucky enough to have met her through our circles and um, she's just such an inspiring woman and she has such an inspiring journey and message for all of you ladies out there who maybe don't know how to get started and you know maybe just um need to hear some words of of someone who's who's been there who's done that who had a different career path and pivoted it so without further ado here's Soraya yeah I just kind of wanted to have you start off and if you could like introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your organization and what you're doing with it yeah definitely hi there my name is Sulati and I'm the founder and CEO of Jara so Jara is scaling quality education to refugee camps and disaster-affected regions through a technology that we're building. So our technology is called Fire Unit. It's an offline education device that we've designed that's loaded with educational content customized to each region of the world. So content that could go on, it goes all the way from traditional education, like the maths and sciences, all the way to vocational practical curriculum, like how to build a plumbing system with the resources around you in South Sudan, or how to build a clean water system with the resources around you in Western Nepal. Uh, because we realize people need their basic human rights met to focus on their education, but at the same time, we also need people's education to be a quality education. Um, and the device itself, it's a 
low-cost crank and solar-powered device so that the children can charge you without needing access to electrical grids or internet. And it's extremely durable, so it's dust-proof, waterproof, brake-proof, and heat-proof to survive any circumstances. So the reason that um, we are creating a new way of scaling quality education is because the old way is outdated and it's not working too well. So the current way people scale education is by building classrooms. You hear that all the time. People are like, we built 1,000 classrooms, 2,000 classrooms in the most impoverished parts of the world. But the question stands up, you know, how good is the education in that classroom? You could build a structure, but what it comes down to, how good are the teachers? What's the student-to-teacher ratio? What are the students' books like? How many of the students are, what's happening to the students after their education? How many people are dropping out? And with the current situation around the world, this it's not looking too good. Um, so currently there's over 263 million children out of school, but that doesn't even include the amount of children in school that aren't getting the quality education they need. So firstly, there's lots to work on with, you know, not just structure, but what's happening inside that structure. And then the question comes after, what about textbooks? You know, textbooks have been teaching people forever. But the problem with textbooks is one textbook only teaches one class. And they're very expensive, they're heavy, and they're static, and most of the times they're outdated. And the textbooks that usually reach some of the most impoverished regions, like refugee camps or disaster-affected zones, those are textbooks that aren't really education-customized to that region or necessary for that region's success. Like, often you'll find, like, British books in, you know, in some parts of the that aren't that relevant for their education that they need there. Um, so what we've designed is our product can have 13 years of education content on it, and it's customized to each region, and we're able to update the content on it too. Uh, so that's, um, yeah, so that's what JARA is all about, is we're creating a new way to really scale quality education, and our solution is designed alongside the people we're looking to empower. It's not something that, you know, a bunch of Westerners came up and we're going to go in and implement it. Not at all. Mm-hmm. We go to the regions we're looking to empower. We sit there and let the people there decide what they want and how they want it. And we're just the messengers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're up to. That's so awesome and amazing. So thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, so I just kind of wanted to go back and kind of hear, like, what inspired you? What got you going? Um, yeah, like what led up mm-hmm. to, to this big vision that now you've, been able to do so well yeah definitely so um so growing up I had the honor of going to the United Nations International School mm-hmm. it's a kindergarten to 12th grade school That's so cool. we represent over 150 nations in that school which is such an honor um and it was great to be in that environment because my dad is Iranian um and my mom is American so it's really great to be by you know people like a bunch of other international people too um, growing up and in that school they taught us from kindergarten to 12th grade about all the issues in the world um, and they really inspired us to truly believe we can solve any of these issues um, by having us eat for even simple things like us we were the ones to solve the problems in the classroom mm-hmm. teachers saying what's right or wrong it was the students came together to decide solutions whenever there were students fighting or you know arguments wow. in the classroom, classroom. So that really empowered us to believe we can solve anything because by day we would learn about, you know, wars, modern day slavery, climate change. We would be solving our own problems in the classrooms that really empowered us from a young age. Um, 
at the same time, my path to going into humanitarian development was not linear at all. It sounds like it could be, especially coming from that school, but it wasn't. Um, originally, throughout my life, I thought I was going to be a professional ballet dancer because I was trained um, professionally in ballet every single day growing up. Um, and I thought that was going to be my future my whole life until um, when I was a teenager, um, I tried skateboarding one day and shattered my ankle. I had to get titanium implants um, that ended my career. So after that, I was like, I thought I had my whole life lined up for me. You know, you dance, you retire at 30, then you figure something else out. But that was overnight. So that was a really tough year following that because really know who I was without being a professional dancer, you know? Um, I didn't have an identity because all I would do is by day I would, you know, by day I would go to school by night. I would train professionally and weekends I would perform. So from there, um, I was trying to figure out what to put my life towards. And my biggest fear throughout my life has always been death. And that's something that's just been on my mind for, even from a young age. So I was like, okay, if my biggest fear is death, how about I work in life extension? So I got an internship at Cooper Union. Um, and it was an incredible internship. It was something called neurophysiology. And in that internship, the team I was working on, we ended up, in layman terms, to put it, curing paralysis in earthworms which was a big deal in the whole field. Um, so I was like, whoa, if this is possible, literally anything is possible. So I was going to go commit my whole life to working on life extension until I asked myself a few questions. I was like, what if I fail? What if I succeed? And why am I doing this? So what if I fail should usually be something that's welcomed. It should be like, what if I fail? But what if I fly, you know? <laughs> but with this, what if I fail? It'd be me age 85 or 90 on my death thinking wow I just committed my life to something that's inevitable mm. so that you know that doesn't sound like a life I want to live and then what if I succeed well if I just spent a whole life working on something working on something that's currently inevitable and I would succeed at it is that a life I really want to extend you know because if I wasn't really living my life for the life itself I was living for something that could happen after is that truly a life that I would want to even extend? And then the last question was, why am I doing this? And my whole life, I thought the worst thing that could happen to a human is death. Until I realized what's worse than death is not being able to live this life fully the way you want to live it. And for so many people, they can't live this life fully the way they want to because of the circumstances they are born into or the situations that happen to them throughout life. For example, natural disasters and having to be uprooted from your home and having to become a refugee, for example. So I decided to dedicate my life to empowering those who, um, for them, the situation they are born into does determine their future. Uh, luckily, I was in the school environment that was talking about that every single day, um, you know, talking about modern-day slavery, wars, poverty, famine. Um, so... I was originally planning on spending, like, for the rest of my life, spending five to ten years each on a different topic, on a different focus. So, like, you know, five to ten years would be alleviating famine. Five to ten years would be on quality education. Five to ten years would be on climate change. Um, but 
I realized with that, if a disaster hit, it could just uproot all of the work I've ever done throughout my whole life on each of those things because I would only be creating an incremental change mm-hmm. within each focus. So I was like, why spend a whole, because it's, it's really a gift for us to be alive. And I want to live this life fully to empower others to live it fully too, despite their circumstances. So if I want to create maximum impact in my life, I would need to do something that's not incremental, but that's something that's pushing a mountain. And I know you, in order to push a mountain, you need to have, you know, millions of others alongside of you pushing the mountain with you. So I was like, how can we all do this by hitting the root cause of so many of these global issues? So I spent the next year trying to figure out what's the root cause of so many of these global issues. So through research, through talking to people, through a lot, a lot of time spent towards figuring this out, I determined the root cause is lack of access to quality education. Mm-hmm. And not just education like the traditional education, but also education like gaining the information you need to gain the skills to build things you need to build or to gain the information you need to get access to, you know, infrastructure and systems, or even to learn how to create those systems yourself. Um, so it's just access to information, which is best taught through good education. So that's when I, you know, started taking off on this world of how do we scale quality education, especially the most underserved populations, because it's predicted that by the year 2030, 65% the global GDP will be made up of people from emerging markets only if we educate them today. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge, it's an emergency. Education is an emergency right now. We need, to, we need to make that go viral. We need people to be aware that education is an emergency. Um, at the same time, when I was like, okay, how do we scale quality education? That's a big question. At the same time, growing up, I really loved learning and I want to learn more than what was offered in my classroom. So my sister was three years older than me, and I wanted to learn more, so I would take her textbooks to learn. The thing is, her textbooks were long and lengthy, and I realized reading her whole textbook gave me the information I need to learn what I want to learn. There's a lot of fluff in textbooks. So I decided to just kind of go, like, skip to all those parts where it's just like, um, you know, the summary yeah. of each, where it really gives you what you actually need. So I would go to the summary and I would turn that summary into teaching flashcards. So I'd break the summary down to steps, like step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, etc., and turn them into teaching flashcards to teach myself. It wasn't for memorization, but it was for teaching. And I was self-teaching that way for almost my whole education from about like around first grade all the way to even engineering school. And it was so effective to teach myself that way. And my friends started noticing me getting ahead, and some of them wanted to get ahead too. So I taught them how to create their own flashcards, and they started doing it too. And from there, you know, we all just started getting ahead and learning better and more. And then I was still doing the same process, but I couldn't afford to buy more flashcards or more pens. It was very, it was getting expensive. And I was like, maybe if I buy a digital flashcard device that I could make these flashcards on, Maybe then I can, you know, save costs. It's like a one-time thing, so I can save costs over time. And it'd be nice so I don't have to carry stacks of flashcards. I just have this one device on me at all times. And this was before smartphones or apps existed. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's viable. At the same time, I was like, if I were to build this, 
other people, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I went to go find it. Let's find one to buy. None of them existed. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I guess I got to build it. But I don't know anyone else who really wants a digital flashcard device. So I kind of put the idea in my pocket. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, okay, how do we scale quality education? And then this device kind of came into my head. I was like, oh my gosh, what if we were to take this device, load it with the content, and content customized each region, and, you know, bring these around the world. And that's where the core idea came from when I was in high school. And then I was just like, well, okay, I have this great idea. I can't wait to start it when I'm 40 or 50. Because, you know... (laughs) No one around me, I never heard about entrepreneurship before. I never saw young people starting things. I didn't know that existed. I only knew of like the Bill Gates and you know Steve Jobs and people like that who were much older who had their businesses. So um, and I also didn't I didn't see any woman who looks like me starting businesses around me. so you know, um, actually no, that's not true. That's not true at all. Um, actually, big inspirations. there was this there's one of the big influences in my life that actually showed me that women can start business become very powerful and leaders was my mom's best friend. Her name's Zaha Hadid. Mm-hmm. Um, she was um, one of the most powerful and um, influential architects on this planet. Um, definitely like a mother to me growing up. Um, my mom's best Your um, mom's friend, Zaha Hadid? Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, um, so from scratch, she created a huge empire, um, mm-hmm. which of, of her, you know, of her architectural designs and empowered people to also learn how to design the way she did and to create some of the most influential buildings this world has ever seen. She's influenced the world of design, the world of architecture, the world of, you know, environment, um, and just showed that, you know, so having her in my life was really empowering. Um, sadly, she passed away a few years ago, um, unexpectedly from a heart attack, but um, very proud to see me be do- doing this today. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I didn't know that young people could start things, mm-hmm. you know? I didn't know young people could start things. And it wasn't until um, a conference that my high school hosted. So my high school would host these conferences where we would bring 300 students around the world to the General Assembly Hall for two days in the United Nations mm-hmm. to um, discuss a um, to discuss a different topic each year. So one year it was climate change, another year is human trafficking, another year is the internet. And the year that it was the internet, we had a few incredible speakers. Um, and one of those speakers was... Um, was Nick Negroponte, founder of One Laptop Per Child. And One mm-hmm. Laptop Per Child is an initiative very similar to ours, which I've always loved and respected so much. And he was speaking. I was like, oh, my gosh, this sounds so similar. I'll just join his team one day. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. But sadly, um, his talk was actually about um, – I'm grateful he gave the talk. His talk was actually about and some of the failures um, that had, was happening at the time with One Laptop Per Child. So I was like, oh, my gosh, there's so much room to, you know, do this, do this, you know, fill in. Um, fill in those by just designing it a different way mm-hmm. um, so I was really grateful to hear him share that vulnerability I thought that was a very powerful and strong thing to do um, and then um, the next speaker was Alexis Ohanian co-founder of Reddit and 
Alexis started talking about how long upon a time he had an idea and turned it into reality and that's called entrepreneurship and I was like what oh my gosh what there's a word for that so I like, wrote entrepreneurship down I definitely spelled it wrong because no one knows how to spell it <laughs> um I wrote that down and I was just like okay this this is how I'm going to do this when I'm 40 or 50 mm-hmm. um but I was like I definitely want to learn from this Alexis person so at the time, not no one really had phones or phones with cameras, but I had a little camera with me. So I was like, okay, everyone's going to want to go Alexis because Reddit's so cool. How can I get them to like pay attention to what I want to say? So I actually went around with that little camera and photographed him while he was speaking. So I went up to him after the event. I was like, hi, Alexis. I was photographing the event. I have some photos of you. How can I get them to you? And he <laughs> gave me his email. He was so excited. His email. And then I sent him the photos. Um, and then after I sent the photos and he was so happy, he put them on his blog. He was just like, okay. Uh, I was just like, okay, Alexis, I have a super duper top secret idea. How can I get this? Uh, can I tell you this idea? Do you promise not to tell anyone? He was like, why is this a secret? And I was like, oh, cause it gets in the wrong hands. You know, it'll be so bad for the whole world. <laughs> um, right. Cause everyone's first idea. They think it's like, yeah. if someone finds out about it, the world's an end. Yeah. But, um, um, we talked about it and he was really excited to hear about the idea. And he was just like, okay, are you doing it? I was like, no, Alexis, I'm only like 15. I can't start an idea now. He's like, um, and I was like, uh, I, don't, I was like, I was like, people start business when they're forty or fifty. He then he's like, how old do you think I am? I was like, oh, I don't know. He was in his, <laughs> he was in his early twenties. Oh. <laughs> um, so that was really amazing to hear. Just someone you know, young, started something that was successful. So um, I was like, okay, so I can start it now. That's amazing. How do I do that? I know nothing, mm-hmm. even though I, you know, we all think we know nothing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't know what to do. And he was like. You either you either could go to college or not, and I was like, "What? You could not go to college?" And he shared that he dropped out of college and was still very successful. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to go to college because I love learning. Mm-hmm. So he told me to choose a major that'll help me build what I want to build, so I could be a technical founder. Um, so I decided to go to university for electrical engineering, mm-hmm. to build what is now the JARA unit. And um, at the same time, I knew I wanted to do this. So I was taking jobs in business management. I took a teaching job in teaching K-12 robotics for an underserved region in upstate New York. I, um, you know, I did, I more or less just really designed my life so I could start this. And then um, when I was in college, you know, it's easy to get distracted from your mission, especially in engineering schools, because, you know, it's really like, it's really pushed into your head that the meaning of success is getting that six-figure engineering job. Mm-hmm. So I started going for that. And I got, you know, that I had I had a few six-figure engineering job offers mm-hmm. in front of me. And that's when I was like, this is not what I want to do. What I want to do is I want to start this now because the problems of the world aren't getting better. Mm-hmm. You know? It's not like quality education is getting better anytime soon. It's not like there's going to be less disasters in the world. It's with climate change, instead of disasters, with climate change, is an increase of people being just put in refugee camps. So I couldn't wait. So after, three days after graduation, I moved out to the Bay Area to start this, and now we're here. Whoa, that's so amazing. Yeah. That is Thank such you for listening. a wonderful story. I cannot tell you, like, the 
so many moments in there were just like, wow. I mean, just even starting from the point where, you know, you you had that whole issue with um, you broke your ankle and shattered it. And that totally just yeah. like shook your life. And what would have been like such a huge calamity, you kind of like use that as a as a way to kind of delve deep into what were you doing here and what were you going to do with your life? And in, I love that you talked about, um, you know, your greatest fear was dying. So then you decided I'm going to go work <laughs> in life extension. Um, so it's like running towards your fears as opposed to, you know, running away from them. And then even going into that deeper and then asking yourself some tough, tough questions, like those three questions that you asked. I love that. And I don't know how old you were when you asked yourself those questions. How old were you? <laughs> Um, I was about like fifteen ish. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you were a deep kid. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I know a lot of teenagers, and I can tell you, I that it doesn't come around as often that that super deep <laughs> reflective thought. So I'm I'm. It's so great to, and refreshing to hear that you know, Thank and you. and um just the story with you know the Reddit guy, and um really kind of giving you this new belief that it was possible being young and it kind of you kind of just designed I love that you've just been designing your life for so long so great thank you thank you so much yeah oh my gosh you're just so inspiring I'm just like super excited because I've I've asked questions to a lot of people and you I feel like you've given me like like so much of a deeper like insight (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you thank you for listening and to my story that means a lot yeah yeah it's so awesome and then so uh I have a few short follow-up questions because I know we've been talking for a while um like so you know for your organization right now like what structure do you guys use um Mm -hmm. is it like NGO like uh NGO nonprofit, hybrid like what's the uh, model so yeah, um, we are a hybrid organization um, because we realized if we want to create maximum impact, the model today that works best is hybrid. And the reason behind that is um, we want to firstly, you know, maximize the amount of impact we can have, but that requires us to be a sustainable business. So if we're a nonprofit, we can't be a sustainable business, you know. Um, but if we're just if we're just a for profit, we can't get the public to join us in this journey as much. And we want the public's we want the public to join us on this journey. So having this kind of figure eight of, you know, being able to create a very sustainable business that has large return, but putting that return back into our impact, that's the way to create a very sustainable impact driven organization. So that's why we're hybrid. Cool. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think a lot of organizations aren't even aware that hybrid models exist and so a lot of times they're scrounging around for money and I'm so glad to hear that you you know embrace that model um and then so what do you feel like were some of the biggest challenges you faced when you were starting off Mm -hmm. yeah definitely a big challenge um but I still deal with there's still so many challenges to deal with today Mm -hmm. um but yeah some of the challenges was what are we? Uh-huh. Are we a nonprofit or are we a for profit? The amount of times that we flipped between it to uh-huh. start was so many. And so we were just like, wait, let's be both. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a big challenge. Uh-huh. Um, the challenge was 
it's hard for us to find examples of other organizations like ours that we can look up to and learn from. Um, so it's been a challenge finding those. And we have since then found more of those and been able to create allies with them, which is great. Um, other challenges today are figuring out who is going to be the right financial supporters of us, who are the right financiers, because we are so unique. And, you know, we are many things. We are hardware. We are a humanitarian aid organization. We're also an education company. So just figuring out who are the right people to come alongside us to make this happen from advisors and, you know, everything like that. And also finding, I, you know, it's always tough finding uh, finding female role models in this world. So also tough too, but since then, since I started this, I've been plugged into more and more female um, female entrepreneur communities, but now the question is, who are the who are female financiers? Um, because so many of the people we're talking to are mainly men, which is great. But we want to give women an opportunity to get in on this investment and get their return from this. You know, mm-hmm. um, women and minorities too, um, because we we really our dream is you know for you know for more more and more women and minorities to be able to be the ones to invest and benefit from incredible companies so we want to also so that was a bit that's been some challenges like how do we um you know how do we find uh women and minorities to be the ones to support and join us in advisory or through teammates yeah mm-hmm. have you have you um talked to folks at ceo so who uh, ceo yeah we haven't talked to them yet no uh-huh. you should you should totally check them out it's um for women yeah. by women oh my um, gosh financial funding all that oh, yeah. good set stuff. So, I'm so in. Yeah, do it. I it's like a big down here in the scene in LA, so it's cool. I'm perfect. Go check it out. Um, Amazing. Yeah, and then kind of um, what advice would you give to like a woman starting off? Um, you know, who has a dream like yours? Yes. Oh my gosh, I have so much advice. Okay, advice number one. Um, as women. No matter how good our parenting is, no matter how good the teachers along our sides are, society and, you know, the media still teaches women that we shouldn't be loud, that we should be quiet, that we should just only be grateful, that we shouldn't be the driven ones, that we shouldn't shake this world up and turn systems upside down. You know, the media Mm -hmm. still teaches us that along Mm -hmm. with other systems in the world. and. My advice is to be loud, to create a ruckus, to flip this world upside down, to be, to break the silence, to sometimes be the one standing alone in truth and in justice, because that's what it's going to take for this world to shift. And one woman can change the world. And that could be that woman that's listening to this right now. This could be you, right? So my biggest piece of advice is to be loud and unapologetic about it mm-hmm. be very unapologetic about your truth mm-hmm. you know because it's very hard for people who don't grow up as a woman in this world to empathize with you know with you know the implicit biases that are deeply ingrained in society and then it's also really tough for people who don't identify with with gender tough also for them too um so but it's up to all of us 
to break silence and to be loud and to state our truths. Um, so yeah, those are just some of my biggest things. And yes, you'll be standing. You'll there'll be times where often the only one you're the one standing up in the room stating your truth and you'll be alone in that. But you're not alone. Period. There's so many communities of people out there to support you, and you know it's up to all of us to make those communities more available. You know those female communities, those communities of people who don't identify with gender, to all stand together in unison, and then get the allies of men together to join us, to so the world could shift more towards equality. But it takes equity first. If if are you familiar with the term equity? Which is, you know, we need to take extra efforts to, you know, to put more resources into women, into minorities, into people who don't identify as gender, so that we can get towards equality. Mm-hmm. Um, but it requires, it requires us honoring the women who have sacrificed their lives, so people like you and me could sit mm-hmm. in a room of men and have a voice. Mm-hmm. It requires, you know, us honoring the people who today sacrifice so much. So again, we can stand in a room full of men and we can have a seat at the Make room at the table for ourselves and it requires us today to be the ones to push this giant door open even more and sacrifice so mm-hmm. much to empower those in the future so they don't have to deal with so many biases and you know influence unfair influence that we have to deal with every single day mm-hmm. yeah so yeah cool. but I mean, one woman one woman can change the world I love that. that I love that this is going to be an awesome write up I'm just telling you <laughs> thank you thank um, you and- and what would you say, do you have, like, a favorite quote you live by or some motto that's just, like, you? Well, so, um, there's a lot of, I love, there's so many quotes from, I have, like, a whole wall of quotes, actually, mm-hmm. but um, the one thing I created, well, the one thing I just, like, I learned this from my mother. Um, she didn't say these words specifically, but I've just seen it in the way she acts, um, and I've embodied this. So. Growing up, my mother, unfortunately, ended up having four different cancers five times. And she had all the reason, she has all the reasons in the world to not, you know, act out of love. But she does act out of kindness or love. So the lesson I learned, every single, there's never been a moment where she hasn't towards everyone on this planet. Even people she doesn't know. So what I took from that and created this quote out of it was, In the face of adversity, the hardest thing, but the best thing is to choose love. So choose love in the face of adversity. Love for yourself, love for those you know and don't know, and love for the world. Wow, that's so beautiful. And it's amazing that you had such a great role model in your life, like your mom. I mean, I can't imagine that kind of hardship, but that can only make you stronger. So, Yeah. yeah. That's great. And then I guess the last question for this particular interview is, um, so what's, what is up and coming for your organization? Is there any new thing that you're just really excited about and you just want to share? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So we're just about to release our research deck from our research we did in Nepal. Um, So we did research on the current status of education in Nepal, especially after their 2015 earthquake. Um, so we went out there in November and did research and testing, and we're about to release the research deck, which we're really excited about, um, and now um, our next steps is product development, so that by a year from now we can launch our pilot, 
um, in Gorka, Nepal, which is one of the epicenter of the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we're looking for philanthropic donations and mm-hmm. angel investing so we can take this to the next step of product development to make this all a reality. Because we have over 10 countries who have approached us asking for our program and our product, which is amazing, but we want to be able to fulfill that and deliver. But 10 countries. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So it's it's time. It's time for this to happen. Oh, Oh my gosh. I love you so much. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I love you too. Thank you. So that is it for this particular episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Please feel free to check out the audio notes at shecatalyst.org slash blog. We're going to be posting lots of content and resources for you to really get plugged in to our community as a sisterhood as well as tools and techniques for you to create change. So Please follow us on Facebook and we will be having social media for Instagram and Twitter very soon. So we look forward to hearing from you. Remember, you can be the change.